take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never-ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come, my friend Cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud, Thursday edition with Nurse Michelle. Today I have with me Yeoman First Class, U.S. Coast Guard Josh, and he's going to be telling us about his journey through the COVID lockdown from 2020 to 2023 and what he witnessed and experienced personally through the mandates. So welcome with us here, Josh. Thanks for coming. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, Great opportunity. I've heard a lot of great things about you, and uh, I'm happy to be on the show. Why don't um, you start with how, where you were, where you worked, um, if you want, whatever you want to tell us about that, and how you first, how you experienced the COVID lockdown as a military person. Yeah. So at the beginning of it all, I was kind of left, kind of left wanting, right? Just wondering exactly what comes next. It all hit like a ton of bricks. But at the very beginning of how it impacted at least my service. And again, I'll represent the U.S. Coast Guard in, in, in that respect. But what ended up happening was uh, when the mandate had hit, it became a voluntary thing initially. It was um, along the lines of like, please do this, please do this, please do this. And we decided that some of us along the lines had questions. We were like, hey, wait a minute, like this doesn't kind of pass the smell test. Can we get a little bit more of a an understanding of what we're asked, we're being asked to do, if you will. Right. And so for me, it was a unique circumstance because on record for me, um, I already had an exemption to the annual flu shot on file already had that, you know, and that's because I had a very bad reaction one season to it. And so that became a permanent part of my medical record which is out there and that's public knowledge. Anybody, you know, with a FOIA request can, can see that. And so in the end, I requested kindly for a medical exemption initially. And, uh, and that's outside of my faith. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Okay. okay. Um, but in the end, I opted for a medical exemption because I thought I was a shoe in for it just based on my medical history. And it turned out that that was not the case. I went through the medical officer and apparently was found that when I asked the question, when I postulated the question, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm a candidate for not trying this just based on my medical history and everything that I have in record already. And obviously I have medical considerations and concerns that really can, that really worried me and a lot of guys just like me during the advent of the initial phase of this. Um, ipso facto, I ended up going through the medical community and, and was denied wholeheartedly. Uh, the justification that I got at the time that I had asked why was simply it was built differently. There was something else to it that was built differently, and I was told collectively not to worry about it. And to me, right off the bat, being a critical thinker, I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. Can you at least tell me what's in it? And I was not afforded any formulation or anything in relation to an, a full understanding comprehensively of what's in this 
that I'm volunteering for. So off the cuff right there, I was initially denied. And I- so Josh had told me that he is um, 46 years old. That's correct. And you're saying to me that they literally said to you that it's built differently. That's so low lack of scientific information. Yeah. And, and when you think about it from a lowly enlisted guy like myself, and I'm not going to promote myself as someone that was really up there in the grand scheme of pay grades and power. I was just a worker bee, nothing more. But I was given no recourse at all when asked about this. Ultimately, they said, trust us, trust the science, trust us. It's, com- it's built completely different. Do it for your community and do it for your country and do it for everything else. And I had a problem with that only because medically I had an adverse reaction to a previous experience with a flu shot. So I digress. We'll move forward, fast forward. And then at that point, I was like, okay, well, I've been denied a full medical exemption. What's my, what's my next recourse? Well, a religious accommodation. And why not? Born and bed, bred true Christian. And I decided to file a religious accommodation through the service. I did everything that I needed to do in terms of that. And it ended up denied. And then did they at give that you, point. How did they deny a serviceman? They denied us blanketly. That is a fact. And I know that for a fact because I've seen multiple denial letters from other Coast Guards men and women that looked identical except for one paragraph, maybe one and a half paragraphs of the blanket denials that they push forward on us. And I realized that what they were doing at the time was just rubber stamping all the denials. They didn't really give us much of an opportunity to go ahead and have that full understanding of our convictions analyzed. They didn't give us that opportunity. And what they basically told us was, you have a choice. You can go ahead and move forward with an appeal, or you can accept the repercussions of not doing so. And what were those repercussions? Well, some of those repercussions involved NJP potentially, write-ups and all, uh, non-judicial punishment, I'm sorry, for civilians that don't understand the legal mechanisms within the services. They can be pretty heavy-handed depending on your command and what you do. I didn't want to get into trouble. I was like, guys, I'm trying every legal recourse possible, fathomable, to be able to afford myself an opportunity to go down range and exonerate, not exonerate myself, but exempt myself from this because to me, collectively, it just didn't feel right. I was like, something's wrong here. And three years later, here we are understanding that there was. But I digress. I, I afforded myself an appeal. I went down range and I said, I'm going to go ahead and appeal. And I appealed. And I was one of 900 personnel that did. And of the 900 that did, I think I, I'm shooting from the hip here. I don't have the stats in front of me, but maybe 12 were granted some reprieve. The rest of us were blanketly denied again for that appeal. And to me, I found that to be the break point. I said, okay, I tried everything that I had to do legally from every legal legal mechanism you were affording me, not every legal mechanism that I was trying. We can talk about that a little later, but every legal mechanism within the Coast Guard that was afforded to me to be able to fight the good fight to keep my career fell by the wayside. And it was all preemptive because it was all canned. It was all stapled. It was all rubber stamped. So here you have uh, thousands of people trying to get a religious exemption, or let's just say 900 at the time, religious accommodation. They're having to write very personal things that express their personal religious 
feelings for why they believe that this goes against their personal religious situation. And as personal as these letters were, they gave you a canned response across the board to everyone else, which is obviously more evidence that it looks like your personal exemptions may not even been fully evaluated. They weren't. Not even not not from the first initial exemption applied, but most certainly not from the second appeal that we put forward. Um, and and to add insult to injury here is you have a guy here, and I'm not looking to skate. Okay, I'm I'm an older gentleman. I'm not young and full of, for lack of better words, piss and vinegar. Right? I'm not that guy. I, here I am with medical conditions already established, with an already established medical exemption to an annual routine shot. And I was denied blanketly the opportunity to avoid this. So I have my medical considerations. I have my religious convictions in play here. And they afforded me no recourse at all. Yeah, that is so shocking to hear that kind of story. It's not the only time that I've heard this kind of story. It happens to so many employees as well. But when we're talking about the, you know, our U.S. military, that there's so little consideration going. And tell us how long you'd been in the military at this point. How close are you to retirement, et cetera? So, yeah, and I have no problem with with putting that forward. I, I served 18 and a half years cumulatively throughout the course of my career for the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. military. and I had assumed carefully, collectively, that I was in what's called sanctuary. Anything past 18 years is something they would consider a sanctuary. In other words, sacrosanct in the, sen- that, in the sense that you would be able to retire. And that wasn't the case at all. 18 and a half years of my life downrange for an organization that cast me aside as a pariah because I wouldn't roger up for something that, and I'll give you a backstory here really quickly. When it all first came down the pipeline, I felt like I was the only one. I felt alone, that I was the only one that felt this way. And it was only a matter of time before I started to really understand the gravity of other people's feelings and how they were operating. I came to realize at the tail end, when I held the line, I came to realize at the tail end that there were hundreds of thousands of us that said, no, we're not doing that. And if you want to hold hostage our careers, if you want to hold hostage our pensions, if you want to hold hostage our principles and our convictions over this matter, then you're not worth working for. And so myself, along with a good friend of mine who was at 19.5, five months away from retirement, we packed our sea bags and we walked out. And that was it. Okay. And so, so for them, they've when been, you- I'm sorry, go ahead. When that happens and you're um, you're denied, all, you've gone through all the processes possible to get what seems like a reasonable request honored, and now you're saying you're going to walk out. What does that look like? Are they dealing everybody papers at that time that uh, establishes your new status with the U.S. military? I wouldn't say new status. They all gave us, at least for the guys that I work with, and I can't speak for every branch. My heart goes out to the Marines, the Army, the Navy, all those other brothers and sisters branches that we have, you know, served alongside throughout the course of our careers. My heart goes out for them, goes out to them specifically because I I know that a lot of them have dealt with harder recourse than my service. The Coast Guard, generally being a humanitarian branch, um, 
overall afforded us more of an honorable exit than they did anything else. And that I at least will give them a credit for because I was able to exit with an honorable discharge. They took into consideration my entirety of my career and they said, you have an impeccable record. You've done nothing wrong except for this. So how could we give you anything less than an honorable? And they gave me that. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm grateful for that. I 100% am grateful for that. But was it just? No, it wasn't. And this is, this is, if I may just echo this one narrative, and I may go down in history for this, but the reality is, as I've come to understand the military services, we are all born and bred to be apolitical, meaning that we shouldn't align ourselves with any political establishment, at least on the low end. I understand the brass has got to toe the line of the administration because they're appointed. But the younger generation, the, not the younger generation, or the younger ranks, I should say, the, the, the smaller ranks, if you will, E1 through E6, E7, maybe even E9, who knows? We drink the Kool-Aid of understanding what concepts of honor is and what that means to us, right? And here's the delta. When you yourself as an organization espouse concepts of honor, and you yourself toss them out like lip service in a minute, and you cast aside hundreds of thousands of those who believe in that concept of honor, that hold that intrinsically to their hearts and their minds, then there's something wrong with your organization. And that's something that they're coming to terms with right now as we speak. That's a guarantee. Yeah, that is a profound statement. Um, People who do not have military in their family, probably need a little bit more of an understanding of the passion that you're speaking with about honor and why you ever enlisted. Maybe you can share with us a little bit about that because you've, you've shared it with me privately that you, the, the concept of service to our country, I'm a nurse, it's a service job, but not the same as what military is being put there for us, for the protection of the American people. Why don't you share with us about that, that desire that for the sake, for the love of the country, for the love of why people go into this and what's happened to the people, you know, we, well, we- it's, it's, it's really a touchy subject. I think everybody fights for their own reasons for me. And I'll, I'll call it, I'll call a spade a spade here. I was born and raised in New York and I was there when 9-11 happened. I saw it with my own eyes and it was, tra- it was traumatizing not just for me as a born bred New Yorker, but also for the people of that city at that time. And not only for them, but also for the country. And when I saw the towers come down with my own eyes, I realized my calling. I had to do something. It didn't matter what it was, whether initially I wanted to be a cop and a firefighter. I had a, I bounced around a bunch of ideas of community service. I wanted to be a part of taking care of something greater than myself. And it just so happened that I was at a barbecue with a buddy of mine in Long Island, New York. And I met his brother who was a warrant officer in the Coast Guard, and he sold me on the deal. He said, the Coast Guard's a military branch, but in the same vein, they fight for the greatest good of everyone, and they're a life-saving service. How noble is that? How noble? It's absolutely noble. And so for me, I was like, that's it. That's my selling point. I applied within three months. I was through basic at my first unit, and it was wonderful. I won't give you the year of my session, but I'll tell you. I fought the good fight because I believed in what the service was at the time. And more importantly, I believed in this country and I was willing to fight for it come hell or high water. And so fast forward 18 and a half years of honorable, dedicated service and something happens, something I can't explain, something I don't think you can explain, something that I don't think the world can explain, but we're upside down and inside out. 
And the concepts that brought me in, loyalty, honor, integrity, everything in between, seems almost non-existent in today's society. And so here I am, one amongst hundreds of thousands that had to make a choice. Fast forward 18 and a half years after, well, more than that, 20 years after 9-11. I came in a few years after that because I had to wait because everybody was trying to get up in there in whatever capacity possible. And I ended up finding myself on the back end of a destroyed career, completely demolished pension, demolished understanding of the world around me, all because I decided to take a stand and draw a line in the sand and say, here and no further. It wasn't because I was trying to be belligerent and it wasn't because I didn't want to fight the good fight. It was because it didn't for me amongst many, many other people pass the smell test. It just didn't. And so guys like me, hundreds of guys like me, thousands of guys like me said, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. What are we doing here? Here we are three years later, and it's no longer a thing. And it gets even better than that. But we'll talk about that here and uh, maybe after the break. Oh, yeah, that is a notable comment to make that it does seem like it's gone by the wayside. All of a sudden, we're not hearing it shoved down anybody's throat. All of a sudden, it's not being talked about in such a major way. In a recent public gathering at a restaurant, it was all I could do not to stand up and say, people, it's still not normal. Things are not normal. They're still calling for emergency powers in our state. We've got to act. There's still more things going on. It just You just think it's not going on. There's military that do not have their jobs anymore. So going back to that, here you are, your job is removed from your life. You're living in, um, is, is it okay to say your state? I am. Yeah, I'm living in the current state that I got out of, and uh, it's a great state. Yeah, um, I will tell you, honestly, I mean, transition-wise, we can get into that a little bit if you want. But for me, the hardest part about this transition is the loss of the camaraderie. And I think a lot of veterans out there will tell you the same thing. They just miss that camaraderie, you know. And, and there was a time, although I will tell you over the past near three years, camaraderie was very divisive and derisive because you had a lot of competition and a lot of people trying to sway your opinion. That wasn't the service that I joined when I joined back in the day. It was a service of unity. It was a service, it was a service of community collective that would have fought to the end, regardless of cost. And something happened when COVID came out and the whole mandate came out that destroyed us from the inside out. It eroded us. It eroded trust. That's evident. And you can't tell me collectively, I don't care anybody out there can't tell me collectively that it didn't erode trust. Otherwise, you wouldn't have lost hundreds of thousands of people. That might be a gross exaggeration. I can't speak for the other services, but I can tell you for the Coast Guard, you're talking close to 2,000 people. And that includes not just the personnel that got fired, like myself, even though I was in sanctuary, sanctuary along with a lot of other guys, that also includes people that were forcefully retired. That includes people that saw the writing on the wall and saw their, their end of enlistments coming up. And they were like, you know what? Hey, I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with this. Now, here's the deal with any engine of an organization. Manpower is everything. It is. And if you, don't have an, if you don't have manpower, guess what you don't have? You don't have an engine of success. You have an engine of failure, something that's on dire straits. And they know this. Wonderful. Which Just is hearing these points. Um you're we're talking about our u.s military our u.s coast guard the people who come and rescue you so when the coast guard he maybe i'd like him to before we go to the break 
to say a thing about what you do as a U.S. Coast Guard and how significant it is. And we're talking about potentially 2,000 of our U.S. Coast Guard saying, I'm walking away from this. So like you said, some of them took their retirement early and so they don't want anything to do it. They were able to go ahead and get their pension and go ahead and leave. But someone that's just two years away or five months away, it doesn't matter. They lost their pension. So tell us, what does the U.S. Coast Guard do for this country? And I think there's something else you told me regarding the DOD versus where, where it actually falls under, where the powers actually are. So tell us a little bit. So, so with, with respect to the DOD, I'm not going to speak any volume. I'm really not because I'm I, the Coast Guard is this beautiful, separate you know, entity that operates within the confines of its own limitations. And so I, I won't speak to my DOD counterparts. The only thing I will say about them is collectively, they, they didn't stand alone. There were Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Space Force, pick your poison on whatever they create tomorrow. But you got a lot of branches that walked away. A lot. A lot of people said, hey, here and no further. And it's not because of any other reason than this. They denied us the very thing we actually raised our right hand to defend. And that was freedom, freedom of choice. Now I understand as a, as a member of the military, there are very limited restrictions on freedom of choice. But this came out as an EUA, okay? Emergency use only, right? It, was, it came out as something that should have never been implemented legally to the branches to begin with. And it stayed EUA. And instead of the president signing that waiver that says, hey, by the way, it's official now, that never happened. So by all accountable rights, from a legal standpoint, it doesn't hold weight, the EUA status. That's just my thought process. I'm no lawyer, but it doesn't matter. I've already lost my career. As far as as far as the Coast Guard and the direction of where it's going and, and what I did, I was no hero. I wasn't the guy jumping out of helicopters, saving lives. That's a beautiful and glorious thing to do. And I have the utmost respect for the aviation Airedales within the Coast Guard that are amazing. Like those guys that did that. I wasn't one of those guys. So I was just an admin guy. Nothing special, right? People are going to, oh, look at that guy behind a desk going ahead and paying people. But guess what? The guys that were out there doing all the cool stuff that they did couldn't have done it without me. I was the guy behind the scenes making sure those guys made the money to do what they had to do, right? So if you get rid of me out of the cog of the machine, does that give them the ability to go downrange and do what they got to do? Nope. And that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. They started with the culling of the low-hanging fruit first. Then they moved on up and realized, holy smokes, we just got our butts handed to us because now we're losing our aviation community. You know how impactful that is to a service that's dependent on search and rescue? When you have C-130s and helos going out there to rescue people in dire straits? If these guys don't have the support that they need, which is what I provided, how are they supposed to go out and be successful at their missions? They're not. They're going to find themselves left wanting just like everyone else did. That uh, leads yes, into our break, I suppose. But go ahead. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I'm laughing about this. It's hilarious now. I'm trying to like, be a little bit jovial about life now at this point, because I'm no longer in the service and I have the freedom of speech. And the reality yeah. is what they did to me and what they did to hundreds of us, thousands of us in service. And when I say collectively, I, when I put forward that 2000 mark, that's a shoot from the hip mark. I want you to understand that that's, that's not 2000 personnel that absolutely refused or went through all the mechanisms that I went through along with everyone else. Not at all. That incorporates people that separated, retired, didn't enlist, 
rejected their enlistments and did everything else there into pertaining to avoid military service within that specific branch. That's a fact. Now, the, now, literally, the Coast Guard, the service in general, is not going to be the one that's going to say, here's a freedom of information request. That's a fact. No, they're not. They're going to tell you 300 people walked away. They're going to tell you 350 people out of 40,000. That's not the case. From the inside, I can tell you right now, it was a hell of a lot more than that. And I'm sorry for saying that word. Heck of a lot more than that, okay? That actually, somehow, some way, through whatever venue or avenue that they could, they walked away. And after the break is over, I'll tell you exactly what they're doing right now post that point. Yeah, let me ask you this. Would you yeah. say that I mean, we're under a different administration? I'm going to cut two questions. One that you mentioned was that, that you noticed such a loyalty difference that happened in the last three years. So did you would say specifically that the camaraderie and what we know at, that's a unique culture of the military was distinctly hit differently that the all that everybody was divided and that um, people were seeing things differently and there was a, a sense of change politics became part of what entered the military where it typically isn't there that specific you're saying happened since this uh, really 2021 that would reflect 2021 because that's when the mandate actually came down we had a presidential change we went from trump to biden and biden of course said he wasn't going to make a mandate but as many people have gone on to say, as soon as he started mandating the masks, we were just we would just totally expect him to mandate the vaccines. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So those federal mandates you're saying literally is what came in and divided the soldiers in the ranks. Soldiers, sailors, airmen, I can't speak for the other branches. I can only speak for my own, right? We're like the smallest, short of Space Force, which by the way, came out of fruition, like, you know, Donald Trump like made 10 guys Space Force, and then all of a sudden that's our sixth branch, right? But the Coast Guard traditionally has been the smallest branch on the planet. We have, I mean, well, uh, within America, I should say, right? And uh, and I was proud to be a part of like the baby branch, right? Like the Navy's the bigger brother and that whole chestnut. But how it affected all of us in all simplicity was... In my personal thought process, and again, everybody has subjectivity to this, I believe that what we became, and I understand the higher echelons, when you come to the brass that are sitting before Congress petitioning for funds to support the service, it gets political. But for the enlisted guys, the sergeants, the staff sergeants, the petty officer first classes, the E7s, we're not looking at politics. We're looking at brotherhood. We're looking at camaraderie. And more importantly, we're looking at mission success. That's the narrative. That's what we're supposed to do. We're taught this. If we follow these core values, we are going to be successful no matter the cost. And we did that. And in the end, it turned out that those core values became lip service. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't because the core values don't mean anything. You can easily exit out of service and still keep the value of honor, virtuous honor. Like, integrity, respect. You can keep these a part of your character without an organization to dictate it to you. The reason why those went away was because of politics, because politics reached far down the threshold, not just for the upper brass to fight about. It reached down to the lower level where you had E5s, E4s, and E3s looking at each other in a disparaging way to say, you're not this, so you can't join us. You must stay within a 50-mile radius of your unit without being able to travel home to see your family. However, if you go through with this quote-unquote procedure, you're able to go as far as you want. 
there's that's discrimination at its finest. And anyone with half a brain can see that. And that's exactly what I saw and hundreds of other people just like me saw. And we were like, we want nothing to do with that anymore. Sorry. You want to go ahead and discriminate. I'll jump ship and get a job for more money than you're paying me and not have to worry about that because I'm bringing more talent to the table than you could have ever wanted. That's wonderful. And you know what? After the break, we'll talk some more about that. Um, We have another interview that also happened that was with the U.S. Coast Guard that you can go to americaoutloud.com slash nursesoutloud and go to Nurse Michelle. I interviewed uh, Corey Sidlow, who is also U.S. Coast Guard, who revealed some uh, pretty amazing things that uh, was going on with the U.S. Coast Guard as well. And it was a really big hit show. People really loved it. And you should definitely check that out. So um, after the break, we will come back and finish up where we left off. It's time and this is Are you worried about spike proteins and how they may impact your health? Are you looking for help? The Wellness Company has an answer in the form of our clean, pure, all-natural spike formula developed by experts like Dr. Peter McCullough. The Wellness Company's spike formula includes the incredible natokinase, dandelion root, black sativa extract, green tea, and iris sea moss. Even better, the spike formula by the Wellness Company is vegan, gluten-free, and made right here in the USA, so you know that you can trust and rely on it if you're concerned about spike proteins. Buying American-made naturalistic ingredients of this quality separately costs over $100. Our spike formula is only $65.99. Get spike formula today by going to twc.health. Outloud listeners use the code OUTLOUD at checkout for an additional discount. Go to twc.health, promo code OUTLOUD, and get peace of mind if you're concerned about spike proteins. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. Okay, so we are back after the break, and we're still here with Josh from the U.S. Coast Guard. But before we jump back in with him, I just want to remind everybody that you can find Nurses Out Loud here Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern. All our shows go to podcasts, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just look for Nurses Out Loud, and we want to make sure you recognize that if you feel that this content is valuable for you, We want you to feel the obligation to share it because it literally is up to each of us to share content with those in your circles of influence. Because if we are not sharing the content, it is a very good chance that nobody is telling anyone in your circles about the things you're hearing here today. So if you find this story from uh, Josh to be valuable and you want the U.S. Coast Guard story from Corey as well. I've got two now here on the radio station for you to share and get the word out. Other soldiers may have nobody talking to them. Like he mentioned, he said he felt very alone 
and did not feel like he even knew that other people were going through this. This was a battle I ran into so much in 2021 as thousands of people literally were reaching out to me on my platform, Instagram, nurse Michelle with that one L dot RN, you people were reaching out to me in, in the thousands to they felt so alone in their only job as the only person who they thought wasn't getting the vaccine. But in reality, everybody was probably thinking the same thing. And there was such a propaganda guilt that was going on that nobody really felt like they could say it. It was almost like this um, form of high school peer pressure where everybody feels like, oh, I'm the only one that fill in the blank that can't, doesn't, doesn't have this, doesn't have that. And these people, adults, were under so much pressure to feel that. And the U.S. military was no different from that. So here he felt like he was alone fighting his battle by himself. And yet there were thousands of other people who did feel the same thing. And those that did go ahead and capitulate and get it anyways against their conscience. Um, And he's got stories to tell about harms that have come to not only within our American population, but even within our U.S. military. So, Josh, um, I think what we will do when we start back here, I'd like you to talk to let the population hear about what the U.S. Coast Guard does. These all these people that walked out, you know, what happened to those positions, et cetera. So you can just pick back up there and um, let us hear you. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, so um, from what I gathered, at least again, I'm, I'm a low rung guy. I wanna, I wanna emphasize that again. I wanna reiterate that I am not at the highest echelon in any respect within the organization. I was just, a, for lack of better words, and I'm not trying to degrade the, my value here, but I, I would just say I was kind of like a cog in the machine, right? Like a peon, kind of like the little guy just making the engine work, if you will, right? I and mean, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Right. So, I mean, that's my thought process. Anyways, I digress. Um, for what I saw with respect to where the Coast Guard was and where they are right now, the saddest part about it is I know that they're hurting, right? Personnel, they made a command decision, albeit impulsively, I'd like to think, but they made a command decision that they're coming to regret right now. They really are. They're lacking. Rec- recruitment is down completely, like decimated 100%. They have I've heard through the grapevine, although I will say I have no idea how true it is, but I've heard through the grapevine that even new recruits going through boot camp don't have the capability of having, uh, you know, full sea bags. And as if, for you civilians out there that don't know what a sea bag is, it's basically the government's like, here you go just to get you started. It's all your uniforms, your boots, your socks, everything else that you need. And Unfortunately, we got recruits right now that are going through boot camp without that. We've got guys at stations um, that are wearing coveralls because they're unable, like Dixie coveralls, because they're unable to have adequate uniforms to, you know, perform their duties. It's it's perplexing. Now, again, I'll take that with a grain of salt there, Michelle. I'll tell you, honestly, I don't really know if that's fact or fiction. What I can tell you is that I only hear the internal rumblings of what I'm privy to, and then the external rumblings of what I'm a part of. And what I hear is that the service is suffering so much so that they're <laughs> go on. Okay. So you mentioned a term called gap. So Correct. that's what you're referring to. Would you tell us a little bit about that? So a gap in, in service, at least for my organization, I can't speak for others. They may have different vernacular or different, different terminology for these types of, uh, you know, issues, right? But a gap in the Coast Guard is basically you've got somebody that leaves prematurely, 
And let me, let me take two steps back to let you know what this all transpires to. Every year, you have what's called the rotational period, where in the summertime, personnel come in and leave. The next summer, somebody comes in and leaves, right? So you always have this constant influx of new people into certain positions that are billeted for either a year, two years, three years, or potentially four years, right? Depends on your pay grade, your rank, and what you do, okay? So every year, the Coast Guard goes through what's called a PCS season, a permanent change of station. That's what that means, okay? And so ultimately, since all of this was leveled, what they did was they termed, terminated, a variety of people in several billets that they could not fill the gap for. So ultimately, the service is eating that gap. Eating that gap means that if you fired somebody in November, and typically you can't replace them until July, then you're without that manpower structure from November of the previous year through July of the next year until you find an adequate body to fit that billet. Does that make sense? Now, if you think about that on the grand scale of one person, it means nothing. But if you think about that on the grand scale of hundreds of people, it means everything. Yes. Because it means that not just the one unit is suffering. It means that hundreds of units are suffering with lack of manpower. And what's the one thing the military is supposed to always adequately have? Manpower. Right. And as you said, the role you fulfilled wasn't just somebody. All the roles aren't roles that are boots on the ground. Some of these roles that are being that are necessary to be filled are just so that people can even get their paychecks when they're within the military. So if you have people that are at a minimum that we have recruitment down, the the mandate itself is deterring interest in the uh, recruit in signing up for the military. Correct. Yeah. Mm And then on top of that, when you have um, lack of faith in your federal government that you're basically serving under the executive branch that is over you, um, if you have lack of faith there, it's not going to propel people to go sign up. It's not going to propel nor encourage anybody to go ahead and put on a uniform. Why would you? Exactly. You're better off. You're better off in the civilian sector fighting the good fight. Now, I have I have a dichotomy to that that I would love to talk to you about maybe on a separate show or whatever the deal is, but ultimately it's not going to encourage people to, to join. It's just not. And, okay. and so, and, and so the federal government, at least I can't speak on the whole, the totality of it, but when it comes to the nexus of what I did for the little contribution that I made to the littlest service in the five branches, and I'm sorry, Space Force, you're not going to get any props here. You're like 10 people. I'm sorry. I'm joking. I love you guys. I get it, but you get my point, right? Bottom line is that the Coast Guard is traditionally the smallest working service, even though we're outside of the spectrum of DOD, we're still a military branch. We absolutely are. Yeah, and, and something about that, you were mentioned about the ASTs and how unique this is. So why don't you tell us a little bit? Of so the that. AST community is, is like the elite, they, they are like the elite operators, right? These guys are out there doing all the King's work. They're the guys out there, for lack of better words, I'm going I'm to keep this clean here, kicking A and taking names, right? They're the guys kicking A and taking names. They're the guys that we rely on in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning in the Bering Sea when you've got a fishing vessel capsizing to jump out of a helicopter at, oh, I don't know, half a mile up. I, I, again, I'm not an aviator, so I can't speak to that. And for you guys in the ASD community that are listening to this, please, I'm trying to advocate for you. Don't Don't rail me on this one. But these guys jump out of helicopters in the middle of the night in the worst weather possible the worst 
to save lives. And when this came out, you'd be surprised that 80% of the aviation community was against it right off the bat. That is a fact. 75 to 80% were like, we're not doing that. Now, listen, here's the deal. Coercion, harassment, bullying, everything else they're interpreting, however the services can get people to go ahead and roger up and do something that they didn't want to do against their own volition. Right. You had, a, you had a contingent of people that capitulated. You did. You had a contingent of people that capitulated. And then you had a bunch of hard sell guys that said no effing way. And it's those guys, along with the little peons like myself. And again, I'm not an aviator. I, I wish I could have been in a separate life, maybe in a dream I could have been, but I'm not right? I was the guy that was the cog in the machine that supported those guys. But in the end, it's one big machine. And every single one of us played an important role. And the end, I think it was Corey that mentioned that these are some of the fittest people in the, they have to be so fit to be divers. Oh my God. Yes. And these people were not for getting the vaccine and, and the military had a bit of a problem on their hand, right? That's correct. 100%. So much so that the Coast Guard collectively was like, holy smokes, we need to put the brakes on this. Otherwise, we're going to decimate our operations. And here's the deal. The one thing a lot of people don't know, I don't know if Corey alluded to this when you talked to him back on your podcast back in the day, but the one thing that the Coast Guard could not do was jeopardize the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear was operations. That are, those are the guys that are out there doing all the cool stuff that get all the crap done that the public sees. They don't see guys like me. They don't see guys like Corey. They don't see guys behind the scenes supporting those guys. The public only sees those guys that are out there jumping out of helicopters and doing all the cool stuff. Now, guess what? Without guys like us, those guys can't do any of that. Zero. And when those guys realize, and this is the beautiful thing, at the time that it all came out, those guys realized if you're firing guys like me, I don't want to be a part of that. And that harkens back to something called honor right? It harkens back to the honor code. This is where these guys that are elite operators actually looked at us, the guys behind the scenes that are not doing the cool stuff that they're doing, but they looked at us and said, what, why are we hurting these guys? What, if that's to come, then what's to come for us? And they held the line to such an extent that the Coast Guard was like, whoa, wait a minute, we can't do this because if we do, we're going to lose everything. And so they did. They put the brakes on it. They put the brakes on it right quick. And then, but in the end, silently behind the scenes, they were like, okay, you guys are little insubordinate wrongdoers, hashtag that, get out, right? For the guys like me that supported those guys. Now, what's so interesting about it is who's supporting them now? I'm not there. Guys like me are not there. Who's supporting them now? That's an interesting dynamic, is it not? Anyways, I digress. Go ahead. Take take the mic. Yeah, the the comment, the quote you just made, insubordinate wrongdoers. Why not? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what, and we may be getting ahead, but it's okay to go ahead and just share this family, <laughs> families, how, what it meant for U.S. Coast Guard. Imagine that you're a U.S. Coast Guard and you're five months from retirement and you lost your retirement, but imagine that you're aspiring and you're young, you're a young person with a young family, maybe. And all of a sudden you don't take this and there's no hope. All you're going to get is just your honorable discharge. But you're sudden, this was what you were banking your career on. And all of a sudden you're unemployed. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you witnessed there? Yeah. So with regards to that, I mean, there, I, I'm going to leave the name omitted here, if you don't mind. And we can talk maybe a little bit more about that in the future if you want to. But there was a retired admiral that in the height of all of this 
said that if we do not do this, and this came through through a, through literal channels, that if we don't do this, we are quote unquote insubordinate wrongdoers. I mean, anybody can take that at its face value. I think it's comedic at best. I mean, like, what are you calling me? Someone that said no, but you had to go the distance and write that all out. Like, who wants to do that, right? Anyways, I digress. There was a retired admiral that thought for some minute, so for some minute, if you will, he'd have five minutes of fame, get out there and say, you're a bunch of insubordinate wrongdoers, go ahead and toe the line. And then you had a bunch of retired admirals that said, no, they're not. They're honorable people that are just trying to fight the good fight. What are we doing? So even in the retired community, you had retired admirals fighting themselves for, for what? For 15 minutes of fame or for the sake, value, continuity of operations that the active duty personnel needed to maintain. They wouldn't give that to us. They didn't win because they were retired. Nobody cares about the retired folks. All the retired folks get is the ability to speak freely. When you're in uniform, you can't do that. And guess what? I'm not in uniform anymore. Hence the reason why I'm on the corn with you, right? We're, we're having this, the horn, I should say, not corn, but the horn with you and just having this conversation. Well, let's address that. We're talking about somebody that close to retirement. This is what was robbed of our U.S. military who are willing to die for us. Um, in a heartbeat. This is Josh. And when he was talking to me as a pre-interview, he made a comment that I would hope he'll share with us, with everyone here today. And he said, it's all about love. So I'd rather you say it, Josh, how you, what, what drives you to be a serviceman to do this? It sounds sappy. You ready for it? It yeah. sounds super sad. It's so sappy. It's like something out of an 80s romance new movie. I, I can go down the rabbit hole of this one, but I believe personally that the most powerful force in the universe is love. I do. The opposite of that is fear. And a lot of people in the pandemic fell victim to fear. I fell into the pool, if you will, of love, confidence, and conviction. And it carried me through to this very day. It didn't give me my retirement. It didn't give me my pension. It didn't give me anything. No, nothing but a handshake and a swift kick out the door. But I don't regret what I did at all. And a lot of guys just like me don't regret it at all. And if this podcast can reach anyone, the, any veteran that, that, that feels somewhat questionable about why they did it, no regrets. Move and forward, move your, on. What was your Go love ahead. for? Love for what? My love was for Christ. My love was for God. My love was for family. My love was for community. My love, above all else, was for country. I passed no judgment on people that made the command decision to do what they had to do for their loved ones. A lot of people that I know were single parents, a mother of three kids. You know, she had to do what she had to do to keep that income. Like a, a lot of people are lured by the love of money the love of capital, and more importantly, the love of stability. And they're not willing to roll the dice of what comes next. Oh, there's many Both. risks that, I mean, you just mentioned a, a single mom. I did. Women, women are often in a position where they absolutely cannot risk a position, risk losing their income. They're on their own. Maybe they don't, aren't in a good marriage or something like that. They need to have options. And basically when a mandate like this comes down, we put an entire American population, including our U.S. military, into a, a, a tight spot, into a corner and made them choose. I can either feed my family, support my family. Um, I think you've mentioned that very some several have lost income, lost ability to provide for their family, lost their homes. The U.S. military guys and women have lost their homes over this mandate. And somebody did something with their six kids. Why don't you tell us about that? You know, he's, a, he's an honorable guy. He's got six kids, passionate Christian, all about love, all about community and connectivity. And 
he he was on the chopping block, just like me. Same pay grade. Like we got out the same pay grade, you know, and unlike him, I don't have the weight of that many children anymore. Those kind of days are sailed for me. But, you know, he's a younger guy. He's got some some difficulties going on. And his wife is uh, she's trying to find a way to support her husband. And I think that's wonderful. Right. Like a lot of guys were getting divorced. Wives are like, you're not doing that. I'm out. That whole chestnut, you know, bailing out on their relationships. But true love carries the day. And she is carrying that day hands down. And I'd love to share a link with you at some point after the fact so that you can support her and her cause to take care of her kids. And more importantly, and I think this is a sign of a very strong woman, a woman that's willing to take care of her husband in times of his need, right? I think in our, in our society, we're ingrained with this belief that men are always the winners and the providers and women are not. That is not the case. In many respects, women can be the power players. They can be the power brokers. They can go out there and do what's got it, what they have to do, not only for themselves and their children, but also for their husbands. And she's one of these people that has done this. She sells these beautiful mugs. Uh, and these mugs are just, just correlated to the guys in my group. But everybody can kind of resonate with this. You're not going to be able to see it. But we'll send a picture online, guys. You guys will be able to see it. I'm pretty sure uh, Nurse Tell Michelle. Tell us what it says. It Tell us what yep. it says on that cup. We'll put it up. Uh, it says, these boots held the line. Insubordinate wrongdoers. That's a hashtag for there. And I'm proud of that. I wake up every morning and I have a cup of coffee on that. I'm like, yeah, why not? These boots held the line, people. That's correct. So these are the people who would not go against their conscience, would not be bullied, even in the military situation. And they went, they stuck with what they believed and they lost it all. Okay. So there there's, we're going to make sure there's a link in my show notes so that you can get access to that. So we will make sure that that is accessible. And I'm sure it's something that the America Out Loud audience wants to support. So be sure to check that out in the link in my bio. So bringing this up, there's so much injustice that has happened. I just was at a conference in Atlanta, Georgia called the COVID litigation conference. And it happened March 25th through 26th. And there were probably 500 um, people gathered. And the majority of them were lawyers from all over the country. I could say the world because Australia and Canada were represented there for sure as well. And one one of the people who had to come in from Canada, she had to be smuggled across the um, through the wilderness of Canada to get into America, to be able to come to this conference and then be smuggled back across and get money donated to her because she can't be unvaccinated and come across her own country's border into our country. And she cannot go back into her country from our country without the vaccination. So this is going on in real time. Um, if you go to www.vacsafety.org, you can find the information about the COVID litigation conference. You must listen to it. I literally felt like I was at the 1776 convention in 2023, that something there's something moving, justice is coming, people. And Josh, as I lead in saying that, I want you to tell us how things have evolved just recently with the U.S. Coast Guard, come, what they are doing now with the people that they threw away to the roadside? Well, Michelle, thanks for asking that question. I'd love to answer that. And I'm going to answer that as truly as possible, because at this point, I really don't care. Um, they're calling us all back. In the past 30 days, I've received two phone calls from two separate commands asking if I'd be interested in coming back. The hundreds of guys that I know, and I'm not going to go down the litany of every one of every single one of them, they've all they've all received calls. So now you have a service that's suffering in desperation for manpower over a political decision that they made that should have never been made in the first place, because ultimately, regardless of how high up you go, 
If you believe in the concepts of honor, and I can go down a litany of other virtues, you would never let that influence your decision, would you? You wouldn't, but they did. And now they're feeling the whirlwind and the repercussion of their decisions. And that involves begging and crying for people to come back after the fact for what? And so I had a conversation with a multitude of men that I know and women, to be fair, honorable women surf as well. Okay. And everyone says the same resounding thing. If you're an abuse, if you're in an abusive relationship, would you justify making your life better by going back to it? Or would you just pull chocks and be like, time to move forward, right? Life's all about moving forward, not going backwards. My heart's always going to be with the service. So my, my part of my life, 18 and a half years of my life was with the Coast Guard. That's never going to go away. It's always going to be a scar on my heart. It's always going to be something that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. But that is uh, such a valid point. And I'm hoping that if you are listeners out there to the America Out Loud audience, you know that we have a show called the Tom Renz Show. He's a lawyer on America Out Loud. You do not want to miss this show. This person is definitely looking for justice regarding these matters. But what's so wonderful is that there are maybe 400 lawyers that were at this event who may really want to take up the mantle of the U.S. Coast Guard. Let's just go for that right now. The U.S. military at large. If you were fired, if you were let go, if you were unjustly removed from your post and your retirement was taken away from you, if you have been, if you've lost your home because of this, I encourage you to go to the website that I will make sure is in the link in my bio. We want you to lawyer up. We want justice. We want justice to come. We do not want this to happen to you, our children's children. So something's got to happen now. So if we can all get the U.S. military to align themselves together, find each other, we may have a class action. Who knows what we have? I'm not a lawyer. I'm a nurse, but I'm motivated to encourage you all to get access to these lawyers. I will help you. You can reach out to me on Nurses Out Loud. There's a place to get email to us on our um, radio station. Send it to us. We will get you a list of lawyers. And these lawyers that I met at this conference this weekend, they are ready to fight. This is a war. This has been a war on the American people. And we want to make sure that everybody who knows of a victim of this kind of mandate, we've got to get their voices, hearing these voices like Josh's today so that they know they are not alone. So that is, um, I want to make sure give you a moment to say something that you want to leave the audience with before we go. I, I guess for me, it's kind of weird, like uh, a lot of years in service, but ultimately thank you for the floor and the opportunity to go ahead and, and do this. I would encourage everyone, regardless of whether you're ex-military, current military, or civilian, always act with honor, follow your heart, tried and true, and do always as best you can what's right, not only for yourself, but the people around you. That's all I got to say. Thank you. Thank you. The U.S. Coast Guard has a set of core values which serve as basic ethical guidelines. Those core values are honor, respect, and devotion to duty. Honor defined by the U.S. Coast Guard is integrity is a, our standard. We demonstrate uncompromising ethical conduct and moral behavior in all of our personal actions. We are loyal and accountable to the public trust. But the U.S. Coast Guard unethically pressured and coerced the men and women who serve our country with honor with threat of reprisal if they did not submit to an EUA product 
that the military could not even provide ethical, informed consent of the true risks and benefits of that product. Thousands, like Josh, in our military, lost their entire careers and pensions and suffered great indignities because of an unethical federal vaccine mandate imposed upon them. I want to encourage the Nurses Out Loud listeners to share this podcast with anyone you know with a military person in their family. Share it on Facebook, Instagram, through your email. We have got to make the truth known. They must know they are not alone. Be kind. Come together with those in your community. We have got to stand side by side. Love one another. Remember, love is a verb. These are the stories of your fellow Americans. Tragedies happen right here in our country every week. Train derailments, chemical spills, and natural disasters. On April 2nd, 59 tornadoes were confirmed across 11 states. Arkansas, Indiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Illinois, all of them hit, experiencing devastation and death. Citizens, your citizens, need help. I have links in my bio if you would like to send help or volunteer. Remember, it is a town we're fighting for. You are not alone. Find your way to connect locally. Speak. Speak truth everywhere you go. Every checkout clerk is your captive audience. Use your time with them wisely. We are in a war for truth. And the truth is... Our U.S. military was abused by their own federal government, and the military code of honor was broken. Nurses Out Loud can be heard on iHeartRadio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern. Go to our Nurses Out Loud anywhere you listen to podcasts and share this content. Until next week. It's time